0: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New Miracle-Gro organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. Miracle-Gro is simply the best.
1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that likes going to the movies almost as much as Pee Wee Herman. He is the captain.
0: Well, I know you are, but what am I? Thanks for listening. It's good to be seen. Well, again, again, it's, uh, I guess it's not good to be seen with my pants down. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the five-star reviews. Thanks for telling a friend.
1: Tonight we are drinking We Don't Need No Stinking Coast by the hardworking people at Six Cents Brewing Company in uh-huh. Jackson, Ohio. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. We Don't Need No Stinking Coast is super hazy double IPA brewed in that East Coast style. And like I said, they got a low hop, high citrus thing going on here.
0: And this beer is brought to us by some of our favorite true crime army members.
1: First up, we have Jennifer and old nasty Jim Harball country. She is in Jerome, <laughs> Michigan. Jennifer says she can't believe she is so late to the party, but she loves True Crime Garage despite that we record in Columbus. Oh, so well, she's nasty, a nasty girl. Yeah, she's a Wolverine diehard. Ew. I hate to spoil everyone's fall, but the Buckeyes will win the division this year. Next, in Parts Unknown, we raise our glasses to Kevin and Amy.
0: And we also have Barbara in Woodbridge,
1: Virginia. Next, we have Erica in Kansas, and I really want to thank Erica for sending this to us. Erica says, if you live in the greater Kansas City area, there's a foundation put together by family members of a murder victim, and that that foundation offers free defense training classes for girls. So to learn more about that, go to takedefense.org. And a big we like your jib to Heidi in Albuquerque. We like your jib. Next, we have Sarah from the city with a heart of gold, Timmins, Ontario. And last but not least, we have Jennifer in Fairport, New York. Jennifer says she loves the back-to-back two-part episodes each week, but she would like to know when we're going to do five episodes a week.
0: We're thinking in like 2024 is the date we're shooting for to start four four episodes a week, yeah, 2024. So,
1: so don't hold your breath.
0: Thanks for donating to the Beer Fund. You can do so at TrueCrimeGarage.com. Click on the Donate banner.
1: And if we haven't read your name or gave you a shout-out yet, just keep in mind we are way behind. We're thankfully way behind. Everybody's mm-hmm. been very generous. So we we will get to you soon, my friends, very soon.
0: And for everything True Crime Garage, you can check out our website, TrueCrimeGarage.com. Go to the store page, check out, we got some old episodes. If you're not caught up on the first, like one through 40, get caught up. Also, we have the bonus episodes, the Brick of Family Murder that we just put out. It was number one on iTunes, can't beat that.
1: And don't forget, Captain, on the store page, we have our selection of t-shirts on there as well.
0: Yeah, and we ship them all out ourselves. I mean, we package them and we do all the shipping. So, you know, when you get your shirt, I have touched that shirt.
1: Causing it to go down in value, of course. Anyway, that's enough of the business, Captain. Everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab Let's a beer, grab a beer, and talk some true crime. On the evening of May sixteenth, two thousand and five, in the town of Coeur Lane, Idaho, the sheriff's department they find the lifeless bodies of three people inside of the Grony McKenzie household. They find both of the adults as well as a teenage boy. His name is Slade Grony. Now we have two missing children here, nine-year-old Dylan and eight-year-old Shasta. It takes about seven weeks, but Shasta is located in a Denny's restaurant with a strange man in the middle of the morning. Now this would be July 2nd on Sunday, July 3rd, the man that was with Shasta was identified as Joseph Duncan. The third.
0: Yeah. So who is Joseph Duncan? Joseph Duncan is 42 years old. He's a white uh, male. He's a registered sex offender and he's from Fargo, I believe.
1: Yeah. Fargo, North Dakota. Now they are holding him because they want to charge him with two counts of kidnapping, uh, charges that in, in that state, if you're convicted, um, they come with possible sentences of life in prison or possibly the death penalty. Now, it's time for detectives to question young Shasta. And they need a lot of information from from this little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, where had the man taken her? Where was she for, for six, seven weeks? What but, happened yeah. that night at the Grony McKenzie home? And, of course, where is Shasta's brother, Dylan?
0: That's the first question you should be asking
1: Well, and of course, we have this situation here, Captain, where Joseph Duncan, he does not appear that he's willing to talk with the sheriff's department. So, as we said, they're going to have to learn this information from Shasta. And some of what Shasta knew and understood about the crimes, Shasta actually learned from Duncan himself. Okay, Duncan told her several times about details of the murders of Shasta's family. And he was... And, and furthermore, what he was doing to Dylan while they were out on the run, let's say. Uh, Duncan told Shasta that, that he was turned on when he had spotted her and Dylan in the front yard. He was driving around. Uh, we can assume probably looking for a right. victim or looking to victimize somebody. He states that he sees the two of them in the front yard. He's turned on. By the young girl, she's wearing a bathing suit at the time when, when he sees them. It is This is when he decides that he was going to take the little boy and take the little girl. Okay. Now, Duncan told her that he had watched the house and the family for a couple of days. He's not specific on how many days these were. Um, but he says that he would he would creep up to the windows at night when the lights were out. And he, see, he had night vision goggles that he brought with him on this trip. And he would creep up to the windows when the lights are out, when the family is sleeping. And he was looking in the window so he could get an accurate layout of the inside of the home because he was planning his attack. Right. And he was waiting for the right time to strike. Well, on the night of the murders, um, there's a couple of different reports here. And I think maybe the confusion is where was Dylan? Where was Shasta? But, Mm -hmm. but the way that the story goes is this is that at some point on the night of the murders, um, Shasta's mother, Brenda, she came into her room and asked her to come out into the living room. Shasta was asleep at this point. And then she calls out to Dylan and Dylan then joins them in the living room as well. Now, Shasta says that when she got there, um, that this is the first time she sees this strange man. She's never seen him before. And he's in the living room with her family members. At this point, um, Mark McKenzie is already bound and he's on the ground. And then we also have Slade, who is bound just with the hands, uh, but he's on the floor as well. Then it's at this point that the strange man, he ties up Shasta's mother, Brenda. Mm-hmm. The man, she says, is wearing dark clothing and he's wearing dark gloves, black gloves.
0: So after Duncan has the two adults and the one teenager bound, he's going to then take the eight and nine-year-old, bound them up, and then bring them out to a pickup truck that he has parked in their, I'm, I'm guessing, their driveway.
1: Yeah, he has, it, he has it parked somewhere on the property. He puts them in the pickup truck and then he goes back inside. Now, Shasta says that the kids uh, in the pickup truck, they heard several screams coming from the house um, after Duncan had returned, but eventually the night went silent. Eventually they hear hear nothing else coming from the inside. Right. Uh, she does say that at one point um, that Dylan and Shasta, that she saw her older brother Slade walk outside, and then he walked back inside again. Um, when Shasta reported this to authorities, she said that her brother Slade was already extremely bloody at this point when he walked outside and then returned. And in her words, uh, he was probably brain dead at this point. Wow. Uh, then they see Joseph Duncan come (laughs) out of the house and he drove the pickup truck over to the neighbor's property. And then took the kids from the pickup truck and he placed them into a red Jeep Cherokee and they drove off. Now, later, Joseph Duncan told both Dylan and Shasta that on the night of the murders, he had parked the Cherokee on Robert Hollingsworth property after dark and he walked over to the uh, McKenzie Grony property. Duncan had brought several items with him, including the duct tape, the zip ties. Mm-hmm. He also brought a flashlight and a rifle and a claw hammer. Once on the property, he was actually confronted by the family's dogs outside. He had aimed the gun at both of them and they, they were disturbed by this and they ran off. Uh, and then he discovered that the side door to the house was unlocked. He let himself in and then made his way uh, to to look for the adult man in the house. Um, apparently after he had the victims tied up is when he got the keys for that pickup truck. He got the keys for the pickup truck from Mark McKenzie himself after he had tied him up.
0: Right. So after they're in the red cheap Cherokee, where do where does he take um where does he take the two kids?
1: Well, apparently Joseph Duncan had shown Shasta on a map where he took the two children. And so just days after Shasta is found, she's able to show authorities that her and her brother, Dylan, they were held at two different camp- camping areas. Uh, one of the two, uh, this is an area in north, in the northwest part of Montana, only about a two-hour drive east from the Grony McKenzie home where the two children were taken from. Now, law enforcement searched this area. This is a remote area near St. Regis, Montana. Mm-hmm. And on July tenth, two 2005, they announced that they had located and recovered the remains of Dylan Groney. Mm-hmm. There were many, many rumors regarding the boy's death and what Shasta and Dylan had experienced while being held captive. All of the newspapers, news outlets, and magazine TV shows we're discussing these rumors. Um,
0: and, well, like we said, though, before, I mean, Joseph Duncan is a registered sex offender. Now we know what the motive was, and we know that he had these two children in a remote location. Mm-hmm. So we know what his motive is.
1: Yes, we know he took them for sexual purposes. Uh, he, he molested them, and he did things to both of them for several weeks. Um, like I said, what what we do know is that Dylan died from a gunshot Um, It was a gunshot to the head. Uh, Like I said, there were many rumors regarding his death and what Shasta witnessed or was forced to participate in. Uh, I don't really want to go through all of the rumors. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of them and they're pretty, pretty grim. Um, But but there are two that I will go through because I find these to be likely scenarios. Um, One rumor was that Dylan was dismembered after his death. And this this could be this this could be likely. Um, they they identified the remains, uh, and they they the method to do that was using DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And it is possible that that wasn't their preferred method, but that it was a necessity. You know,
0: necessity, right?
1: Necessity. Right, because of the way the remains were found, that the, the only way to identify, them and it would could be. have been
0: one of the ways that Duncan was trying to cover his tracks.
1: You're exactly right. the The other. The other, and I apologize, um, uh, but this is not as bad as some of the other rumors that were being reported at the time. Uh, but but one rumor was that the attacks on the boy were very similar to to one of Duncan's earlier assaults. For you know, one of the reasons why he was a registered sex offender, right. uh, it was similar to one of the crimes that he had committed in his past.
0: Okay, so was the You know, what's the loose background on uh, this Joseph E. Duncan?
1: Okay, so while he is, you know, like we said, they're they're wanting to press charges for kidnapping on him. Now we found the body of Dylan. One thing that I like that that the FBI and the Sheriff's Department did in this investigation and did in this case, Mm -hmm. even once they had apprehended Joseph Duncan, they weren't quick to rush to anything. They, They understood that, you know what, We've recovered all the victims. We've recovered one of them, thankfully alive. We have a survivor, right. and now we have the guy that we believe one hundred percent committed this crime completely by himself. They had to. They wanted to do their due diligence and rule out that Joseph Duncan had no connection to the family, um, and so they they're sitting on everything they need. I think that they did it did it the right way to take it one step at a time. Now, during this time, they want to learn everything they can about Joseph Duncan III.
0: Right, and we already know because of these acts that he's a flaming pile of shit.
1: So his past captain and his his previous crimes, uh, Duncan was born in 63. Mm-hmm. It sounds like his family moved around from time to time because of his father's career in the military. Uh, however, most reports show that Joseph, he was he was mostly raised in Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some conflicting reports regarding the family itself. Uh, he was one of five children, and one of his brothers states that they had a very normal childhood. There was no abuse in the in the household growing up. Where he has a sister that that says the complete opposite. That there was that it was a very abusive uh, setting, and that there was all kinds of problems going F- on. Uh,
0: physical, emotional. Mental. It sounds sexual. Like,
1: it sounds like um, mostly physical and emotional type abuse is okay. what she describes. Uh, but again, she describes a completely different picture than what was painted by the brother. So, uh, who who knows what was going on? Um, but in in 1978, uh, at this point, Joseph would be at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. Um, he molested a nine-year-old boy at gunpoint. Um, and, and I don't think he was ever caught for this. Uh, I, I think he actually reported this incident to a psychiatrist later in life. Uh, the following year, Joseph stole a car and he led police on a car chase. And he was caught when he attempted to bust through a police barricade. Uh, for this crime, he gets sent to a juvenile detention center. It is here that he confided in therapist that he had raped and molested some boys. And he, he estimated that he had sexually assaulted 13 boys that were younger than him by the time he was 16 in 1980.
0: But they're going to charge him with these.
1: No, he says this to a therapist uh, when he's serving time in in the detention center.
0: Well, one of the things that we've talked about and, and I'll post it on Instagram it, to me, it's one of the creepiest photos uh, of this whole case is, you know, Uh, Joseph E. Duncan, I mean, he looks little and then right in front of him, you know, black and white sex offender. Mm -hmm. So he gets charged as a sex offender at some point.
1: Right. Right. And this is, this takes place from an incident in 1980. This is after having been released from juvie. So now Joseph decides to break into a home. Uh, this is a home in his neighborhood. Uh, he says that there's an old man there that he knew he had several guns and ammunition. He wanted to break into the home and steal the guns. So he does so. Um, and it's similar to, it's a little bit similar to the murders that he would go on to commit later in life where he would, he would go up and he would peek in the window of this home Mm -hmm. and he waited for his, his moment to strike. Uh, he said that he basically hid in the shadows and broke into the home where he believed nobody could see him he steals the gun, he steals some ammo, um, and after this, he decides that, you know, he's kind of riding out this high from from breaking into this home, he decides he wants to have some kind of sex, right? So he he sees a 14-year-old boy uh, who is walking to school alone. Mm-hmm. Um, he Using the gun, he abducts the boy, and he takes him into the woods, and he assaults him. After the assault, uh, Joseph Duncan beat the boy with sticks that he found in the area, and he burned him with a cigarette.
0: Um, but the, the, the kid would live.
1: Yes, yes. He en- he ends up letting the boy go. Um, he, he tells after he's done doing whatever he did, uh, he, he tells him to run away and not to tell anybody. You know, he threatens him. Don't tell anybody. Well, not too long after Joseph yeah, Duncan.
0: Yeah, asshole. I'm not going to tell anybody.
1: Well, yeah. Joseph Duncan goes home, and not too long after the attack, he's actually picked up by police for that crime. He's charged and convicted for that crime.
0: Good, for, good for the the victim.
1: Yes, and and they sentenced Joseph Duncan to twenty years in prison. Well, uh, he was released fourteen years later um, with several stipulations. Okay. One that he live in a halfway house. Uh, and he was on parole and he was to have no contact with minors. Uh, he would continue to be in and out of jail and halfway houses for some time. I don't want to bog down the show and go through every little charge violation or jail stint.
0: Well, it wouldn't be the first time you bogged down the show,
1: but Joseph Duncan basically was in prison from 1980 until 1994. I also do want to point out that he was not labeled. He was labeled as a sex offender, but not labeled as a pedophile because uh, he was young at the time as well. And, and both he and the victim uh, were less than five years apart in age. So right. there, that's the, the cause of that. Um, and then because of a parole violation, he is in prison back in 1997 until the year 2000. After his release in 2000, he moved to Fargo, North Dakota, where he enrolled in college uh, per his per his parole requirements. He had registered as a sex offender when arriving in North Dakota. They have Duncan listed as a level three sex offender. Now, what does that mean? Okay.
0: Well, I'm really confused because you said he didn't have to be because the victim was the same age.
1: No, he's a sex offender, but, but according to prison psychiatrist he's not listed as a pedophile, a pedophile. okay he's okay. a sex offender but not a pedophile because they were within five years of, of i should have been
0: age. i should have been paying a little bit better attention wake up i'm sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm here i'm here
1: <laughs> okay so so they have him they have him listed as a level three sex offender okay. what does that mean joseph duncan became a level three sex offender because his crime included the following a non-parental kidnapping of a minor and a sexual act committed with the threat of bodily harm or death. So, level 3 or tier 3 as more properly called by the sex offender registry is the highest, meaning the worst level of sex offender there is. Okay. Okay, so if if prison/jail time is required for the offense, the following must be adhered to upon release. If you are a tier 1 offender, you are required to register as a sex offender for 15 years. If you are to t- if you're a tier two offender, mm-hmm. you register for 25 years and a tier three sex offender is required to register as a sex o- sex offender for life. Okay. Right here. I wanted to go through some of the recidivism rates here The the rate that someone previously convicted of a crime later after released often offends again okay we you know here's the thing
0: the repeat offender
1: right right and what's, I wanted what's to, the percentage well I wanted to go through these rates and i I got to looking into it and then I decided that that we won't do that and I'll tell you why
0: <laughs> well thanks for bringing it up
1: no but I, I'll tell you why okay? okay there have been some very good studies conducted over the years but as we review them we will just we will just have a bunch of garage army people going huh what are you talking about right uh and and, and so look
0: like they're currently doing huh what's <laughs> nick doing what's nick talking about
1: look i i looked at it i looked at the reports for a while and i know that the listeners are smarter than me thank god i had to read the studies three times and then i decided it's too boring so Anyway, the tier three sex offenders have the highest rate of recidivism. All right.
0: So your point is that if you're tier three, you're more likely to repeat the crime.
1: Mm-hmm. And we should keep in mind as well that sex crimes are largely unreported. Mm-hmm. So even if we had the numbers in front of us, I would strongly argue that the rates are unfair and much lower than what in reality they actually are. Yeah, very true. And the thing here, captain is that what, what me and you in the true crime garage army care about is the concern for the return to criminal behavior. And we all know that criminal behavior doesn't always lead to arrest or convictions, but it certainly leads to victims, doesn't it? Right. And that's, that's who all of us in the garage here are here to stand up for. So, the thing here is after about four years of Duncan being out, we have a complaint against Joseph Duncan.
0: Well, okay. So, but he moves and he registered for college Yep, and he's also registered a sex offender, Yep, but he's in college now. Correct. And he's studying. Do we know what he's studying? He was
1: studying computers. Um, (laughs) and he, and he was actually considered a a pretty good student, uh, having made the Dean's list a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as much as as much as you and I dislike Joseph Duncan, he he can be an intelligent person uh, as far as as school goes and as far as books go. Um, Clearly not intelligent enough to try to correct himself and correct his ways after he's been given, obviously, several chances to do so. So after after being out for about four years, Uh, We get this complaint against him, and the complaint goes like this, that on July 3rd, 2004, there were two boys playing in a middle school playground. Uh, This is in Detroit Lakes community in Minnesota. The boys' ages are six and eight years old. Uh, They see a small red car with a male driver pull into the parking lot. Mm -hmm. The man gets out, and apparently he has some kind of video camera with him. He walks to a secluded area of the playground, and he calls the two boys over. Uh, Once they're there, the man pulled down the pants of one of the boys, and he fondled him. And then he tried to do the same with the other boy, but thankfully was unsuccessful. Um, There's a brief struggle with this boy, and then both of the boys run off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, at this point, the man gets in his car, this is Duncan, and he drives off. Well, the boys are able to provide a very good description of the man as well as the car that they saw that day. Right? So the Detroit lakes police using this information and using the description, they start checking the sex offenders database and they find Joseph Duncan who matched not only the, the description, the physical description given by the boys, but, uh, he had a small red car as well. His car matched the description as well. So the kids were shown a photo lineup. Well, this is an example of the system working. Thank you, captain. Thank you. The, they're shown a photo lineup and they both successfully pick Duncan from this lineup. Mm -hmm. And because they have all of his information in the database, they're able to go and pick up Joseph Duncan for this crime, speak to him for it, arrest him for it and eventually charge him with this crime. Now, we will also point out a situation where maybe the system did not work. We'll talk about that right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open-and-shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking
0: of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today.
1: Fuel up for them with Factor's No Prep, No Mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
0: All right, welcome back to True Crime Gay Ridge.
1: All right, Captain, we had talked about the system working. Let's talk about where we start to run into problems here. The first problem presents itself. You know, we said that he is going to be arrested and charged for this crime. The problem here, Captain, we have a situation where we have a report. The report of this crime was misfiled or lost somewhere for whatever reason Duncan's not going to face any justice here regarding this charge until about nine months later. So we haven't, we have an extreme delay in the process. Right. And to further that, you know, this crime happened in Minnesota. He's a registered sex offender in North Dakota, but I don't think that that is any excuse here that the court didn't know who they were dealing with. Right. This should be easy. In my opinion, you know, we have a level three sex offender, who, according to these charges, may have reoffended and tried to do so against not one, but two children. I believe uh, that Joseph Duncan had a either a public defender here or maybe he had a, a license, you know, a private attorney mm-hmm. at this point, because he did have, Captain, he had he actually had two well-to-do friends. Um, one was a physician and the other, I believe he had been in real estate, but regardless, both had made a good living during their careers.
0: And why are they friends with this scumbag?
1: Well, let's get into that a little bit. One of these friends, okay, ends up giving Joseph Duncan $15,000 and he says that this is to aid in his defense or if there was to be a bail, well, it would probably help for both. Mm hmm. But so his attorney, when he's facing these charges, his attorney asks that the bail be reduced, that you know, typically in a situation like this, we would see a, a bail that would be set at like25,000 dollars or more for a crime of this nature with a possible reoffender. Mm-hmm. So the attorney for Joseph Duncan tells the judge that Duncan, this is in April, right? April of 2005. So Duncan is due to graduate from college in May. The attorney asks that the bail be set at a reasonable rate so that Duncan can get out of jail and he can attend he can attend to his affairs and complete his graduation <sighs> yeah, process.
0: That's not how the world works.
1: Right. But the judge ends up agreeing to this and he sets the bail at fifteen thousand dollars.
0: Right. How much money did they put in his pocket?
1: Hmm. Well, That's I what I want to know. I don't know about that, but remember we said that Joseph Duncan got that $15,000, that money from his friend. So picture this. We have a level three sex offender. Right. The bail is reduced to 15 grand and the defendant says, no problem. Pulls out his checkbook and he writes a personal check for $15,000, hands it to the bailiff and boom, he's released into the public. Right. Just walking around whistling Dixie. By the way, I heard that that check bounced. You know, for that, can, can't they? Can, can we? Can, gotcha. Yeah. Can we at least hold someone until the check clears? For starters, yeah,
0: that should be a, that should that should easily be a rule.
1: Yeah. So so back to what the captain was saying, and I'm sure everybody else is 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 scratching their heads. I'm sorry,
0: but I can just hey, no problem. No problem. Let me just write you a check for that. All right, free I go.
1: It, it almost and I hate to 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 joke around be, over, over something so serious, but it almost it's as stupid to me as that part in Dumb and Dumber where he opens up the briefcase full of IOUs. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, and he picks up one. and He's like nine thousand dollars. He's like, yeah, you might want to hold what? on to that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So it's anyway, as as cash. Like the yeah, like the captain said. And like, I'm sure all of you out there scratching your heads by now going, how does this Joseph Duncan guy have any friends at all, especially one that would give him a loan or whatever you want to call it for 15 grand? Well, I'm going to go into this, but I want to be clear that a lot of this here is my is just my opinion. Uh, but I believe there's plenty of evidence of this to back some of this up. I know where you're going. So, you go on? so J- Joseph Duncan, at different times in his life, he held many different sexualities. You know, at some points in his life, he was straight. He was gay. He was a cross-dresser. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very actually,
0: ugly cross-dresser.
1: Yeah, not, not very good at it. I actually don't believe that that he went from feeling one way to another at different points in his life. I believe as noted in Duncan's prison files Mm -hmm. from the time that he was a kid, that he was diagnosed as a sexual psychopath. Uh, and I, I do believe he was actually a pedophile. Um, and, and this, this is a person that is a pedophile who would abduct and kill to fulfill his urges. I think that Joseph Duncan could, could have sex with anything really. And that, that he was, Okay. That He was a, cons- that he was a constant manipulator of situations that he found himself in. Okay. I think if he saw a situation where he could benefit from being homosexual, well, then he was happy to play the part. I think that that's where these friends may have come into play. Heck, one of these guys, just listen to this. Okay. One of the guys said to the courts uh-huh. that he thought that Duncan could be rehabilitated, with some counseling and that the courts should release Joseph Duncan to him, to his care where Joseph Duncan could come and live with him, his wife and his two children. Might I add these children were just of the age that Duncan would have liked. This guy knew that Joseph Duncan was a sex offender. He knew of his sex offender status. He knew of his criminal past and the crimes he was currently being charged with. I tell you what, if, if I'm married to someone and they say to me, Hey, honey, let's let this level three sex offender live with us and our kids. It will all work out. Well, I'm going to say no, but I'm also going to say, you know what is a good idea? A vacation. Now, go take one by yourself because me and the kids are throwing your ass out. So pack your suntan lotion. Mm-hmm. So Joseph Duncan, he he is out now. He's written this, this check for $15,000.
0: Rubber check.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's out and he's he's... He knows he's going to have to face these charges eventually. And I believe that that is what triggered him. I believe that that is the trigger that, that brought on what he called the demons to take him over. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to point out here, when the investigators were looking into his past, when they were looking into Joseph Duncan's background, they learned he was going to school for computer. And he figured, and they figured out for a computer. Well, for I, I can't remember. I'm I'm struggling here to remember the exact thing that he was going, but it was for. <laughs> thank, thank you, Captain. I, I, could just, see the, I could just see. for the, a computer.
0: I get to see the kid going, going home. You know, he's visiting his parents for. Uh, uh, <laughs> for like you know it's christmas time hey uh your, the grandparents ask him hey what are you go- hey nick where are you going to school where are you going to college for just say pewter. computer i'm going to school for computer
1: <laughs> i can it all right well the major's <laughs> a little more specific than that but <laughs> right. it involves it involves him going into that line of work well, thank, so we're
0: making my day
1: <laughs> so they they are convinced that he's going to have some type of online presence and they track down some some uh, resumes that he sent in to different people looking for jobs. Right. Um, they they ba- they actually lock down his apartment. You know, they contact Fargo, North Dakota, and they contact the landlord, and they they lock down his apartment so they can go through everything. Right. And it's at this point that they discover this fifth nail blog that we talked about in the first episode. Right. Well, he's the creator. Of, of this blog, of this website.
0: Well, and like you stated before, he, he talked about offenses that he made prior to this. Mm-hmm. And so these would be the offenses. You know, these this rubber check that he wrote, these are the offenses that he's talking about on the blog.
1: Well, and the thing here is, Captain, like I said, he's going to have to face this, these charges eventually. He, in his mind, he knows he's going back to prison and probably maybe even for good at this point. I don't know what the rules are on reoffending, but he's going to go away for a long time. He faced 20 years the first time. And I think that this was the trigger that, that that was the demons that he talked about on his blog, taking him over. And because he was going back to prison, he snapped and he thought, you know what? I'm going to go out rather than go on the, go to prison. I'm going out. I'm going on the run and I'm going to kill and abduct until they catch me or kill me.
0: Well, and some of the true crime army might be, they might go against me on this thought, but hear me out. So with killers or even sexual offenders, they, they, a lot of the times talk about the urge, you know, I get this urge to kill and we'll see it time and time again with different serial killers where they try to fight the urges Mm -hmm. and some serial killers, they don't even try to fight it. And some sexual offenders, they don't even try to fight the urges, but there are some that do. So it's it's possibly that's kind of what he's talking about too is with these demons where it's like you know maybe at certain points of his existence he's tried to fight these urges right uh, which which he's calling demons and uh, now that he knows that you know there's really no future for him why fight the demons mm-hmm. why not just let them take over
1: yeah. And, you know, not only were they looking into his background, Captain, but, you know, the, his arrest when they found him with, with Shasta and after they found the body of Dylan and then they they connected him to this triple homicide, they're starting to see this guy is not just a level three sex offender. No, this guy is, I mean, one of the worst of the worst, right? He's a serial killer. He's a serial killer and he's capable of of monstrous things. Well that's going to lead the FBI to launch a nation a nationwide review of unsolved missing children cases. Right. Um and they they wanted to see if he during the times he was out, you know, what who went missing, where did they go missing from? They started looking at cases that were everywhere as close to like 70 to 100 miles from where he was all the way to about seven or 800 miles away from where he was living at the wow. time. Uh, they believed that because they had seen it in more than one situation by this point, that he was capable of going to other States to commit these crimes. So he was actually implicated as a possible, possible suspect in several crimes that occurred between 1994 and 1997. This was when he was on parole the first time, before he violated his parole and went back to prison now. So,
0: so a three year gap. Yes. And, and and who knows what happened then?
1: Right. And at this time he would have been in the Seattle, Tacoma, Washington area. He was, he was living in that area when mm-hmm. he was free from prison during this three year stint. Um, although he was cleared as a suspect in some of these cases, authorities in California and Washington they believed that they had enough evidence and believed that Duncan had committed unsolved murders in their jurisdictions. Now, the first one that I want to talk about is a boy by the name of Anthony Martinez. Okay. Okay. So on April 4th, 1997, 10-year-old Anthony Martinez, he was playing with friends in his in the front yard of his home in Beaumont, California a man approached the group of kids asking them if they would help him find his missing cat. The boys did not want to help this man. They were, mm. they refused to help him. So the man instead grabs Martinez and he puts a knife to his neck and he, he threw him into a white four door sedan into the back of his car. Well, on April 19th, this is just 15 days later, 1997, after searching for the boy for two weeks, his body was found nude and partially decomposed in a California desert ravine and covered in rocks. Uh, the investigator said that he had been sexually assaulted and bound with duct tape. Now, this right, is right. one reason why they're looking at him. Furthermore, they're looking at Joseph Duncan because a composite sketch was made of the suspect at the time of the crime.
0: Now, yeah, yeah, I think this was the one with the army hat, maybe sorry, army hat and the mustache.
1: Well, the, the, it, when this crime was committed, they had no leads. And, mm-hmm. and eventually this case goes cold until after Joseph Duncan's arrest in 2005. Well, the thing here is once they announced that he has an online presence and that he had this blog, well, of course, web sleuthers and everybody else that has a computer that's interested in true crime. They're looking at, they're following the story on CNN and Fox news, and now they're following it on their computers as well. Mm -hmm. Well, several people noticed that there's quite a bit of similarity between Joseph Duncan and the composite sketch in the Martinez case case. So the FBI, and now again, with the help of the national center for missing and exploited children, they, they get involved in this case and they start working with the Riverside County authorities mm-hmm. who are still active in the investigation.
0: Now that blog was since, you know, they took down the blog.
1: Um, yeah, well, well you want to go into that just real quickly and we'll go back to Martinez? Yeah,
0: yeah, just because at some point they take it down.
1: Yes, It's. It, I've read several newspaper articles and magazine articles, online articles everyone I've come across says that the website has been taken down. However, I don't know if this, remember I said earlier, the guy went to the school for computer. Well, that's about my understanding of everything as well. So
0: <laughs> he went to I've, school for computer.
1: I've found, I've found this website and I don't know if it's an archive or if it's somebody retelling the, mm-hmm. I, I don't fully understand what it is, but you can find it out there. You really, if I found it, that means you don't have to look right. extremely hard
0: from, from what I was reading. It made it seem like it was taken down at some point. Then they put it back up. Mm-hmm. Then when they took it down again, somebody had saved all the information. And so then they relaunched it because it was really about them not wanting uh, him to have any control over it or access to it or, or, or something like that. Because I think, that they do get some computer time in prison. So,
1: yeah. And the thing here is captain. He has, when I say he, Joseph Duncan has a similar active blog that has the, and it's, it's the same thing where it's like almost journal entries. Right. Um, and a lot of it's talking about his time in prison and, and things he gets in trouble for in prison. And he, he talks smack about the wardens and about the judicial system and things like that. Um, the way I understand it, this is an active blog and it has a similar name to the fifth nail. It's something like the, the fifth nail chronicles or the fifth chronicles, something like that. It has a very similar name. Again, you can easily find it if you just look up his name. Uh, I will throw out there. Maybe don't waste your time because it's a lot of very boring, dry reading, uh, I read through some of it, like I said, boring stuff. And plus, you know, this guy is a horrible monster. I don't want to spend any time well, with yeah. him. Yeah, and if
0: the colonel says it's boring, you know it's
1: boring. So the the way that I understand the that the current blog works is that he is not actually allowed to write any of it himself, um, which which should be. I applaud that. I don't think I'm all for freedom of speech, but I don't think that people serving time, life in prison on death row, that they should be just typing away their own newsletter. Well, now, especially,
0: be, especially people that uh, have crimes against children.
1: Exactly. So the thing here is from my understanding, is there's somebody on the outside that operates this for him? Um, that he, you know, he, he, corresponds with this person and from time to time this person posts things on that blog on his behalf
0: well you got these weirdo rich friends could
1: be could be i i think it might be a woman i'm not i'm not certain anyway sorry we got kind of sidetracked there but you you were right to bring that up because people were probably questioning that so we have this unsolved case of anthony martinez the 10 year old that disappeared for two weeks and then later was found dead and we have people coming forward stating that there's similarities between Duncan and the composite drawing. Also, remember, the, the little boy tape. was bound with duct tape yeah, duct yeah, tape. Yeah. So authorities were able to, after looking into this, they're able to match Duncan's fingerprints to a partial thumbprint that they found on the duct tape on Martinez's body. Also, it was learned that Joseph Duncan had stolen his girlfriend at the time. He had stolen his girlfriend's car, and that car was a white Chrysler town car, which matched the description of the abductor's car as well. Well, there you go. Yeah. During the sentencing, he would he eventually go to trial for this, for the, the death of Ernesto Martinez—I'm sorry, for the death of Anthony Martinez. But during the sentencing phase of the trial— Ernesto Martinez, this is the boy's father. He said, 14 years ago to this day, my son's life was brutally taken by the hands of a monster. I am angry that instead of attending my son's college graduation, I am spending a day at the sentencing for Tony's murderer. As a father, I would love nothing more than to carry out this execution with my own two hands. I know there will be no punishment greater than the special place God has in hell for Joseph Duncan to endure the pain and suffering we've had to experience. The Riverside County superior court judge. This is David Downing said, I can say in 31 years involved in the criminal justice system, I have never met a more evil person than Joseph Duncan. And he immediately had the prisoner removed uh, from the courtroom. Then six deputies, they lead Duncan out of the courtroom. And during this time, he glances off into the audience with a kind of a dumb smirk on his face as he's as he's facing the audience there.
0: Yeah, I'll post uh, some of these pictures of him at trial and him like being transferred from prison to 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 trials. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll see him. He has a bunch of different looks. But, uh, you know, there's definitely something, something wrong with him. You can just see it in his eyes; it's there. There's something like, just something missing about him.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, there's some other crimes that they're concerned about as well. Uh, the federal.
0: Well, oh, hold, hold on! If I wasn't clear, I'll, I'll post those on our Instagram at True Crime Garage.
1: The federal prosecutors also revealed that Joseph Duncan confessed to the murders of Sammy Joe White, eleven years old, and her half sister. Carmen Cubias. Uh, this is she's nine years old. The two girls vanished in July of 1996 after leaving the Crest Motel in Seattle. They lived with their mother at this motel, and the family was very poor. Uh, the kids would often make a little bit of money panhandling. Uh, the exact details of their disappearance are not known. They're they're completely unknown, but their remains were not found until February of 1998, so less than two years later. Uh, now, we said Joseph Duncan confessed to this crime, to these two murders, but it sounds like the authorities are in need of much more than, than whatever Joseph Duncan told them okay. uh, because he has not been charged with their murders yet. Okay,
0: answer me this. Go ahead okay so we, think about the Brian Ferguson case from last week right you have a story that doesn't make any logical damn sense right right has no information correctly but we hand you all the information during the interrogation mm-hmm. now you got this piece of horse shit behind bars and he's already been tra- we already know that he uh, you know killed four people Right. and then we charged him with this the killing of the boy
1: Anthony Martinez, yeah,
0: exactly. And now he's confessing to crimes, and law enforcement is going to say, "We well, we need more than that."
1: Well, he, here's the thing. I, I mean, you
0: see what I'm saying? No, that's, no, no. That's my confusion.
1: No, and I agree with I agree with you, but I I think it, we're talking about the playing field. It's not an even level playing field, right? We have all kinds of different players in this system. And just like any line of work, some of them are very good at their jobs. Some of them are very bad at their jobs. Some mm-hmm. of them care and have basic human decency. And some people don't care right. and have no human decency. Right. And I think what we're looking at here is I think people involved in, and, and I know what you're saying. We, we want to see justice for as many of these victims that, of Joseph Duncan as possible. Right. And how could we not get justice for these two little girls who, when somebody like Ryan Ferguson ends up in, in prison, uh, right, no record for nothing. Yeah. Right. For, for, and he's totally innocent. I see what you're saying. I think what we're seeing though is I, I think in this situation we have, we have prosecutors, these are federal prosecutors. Um, I think they, they're doing a very good job. I mm-hmm. think they know the law and they're working within the, comf- the confines of that law. I think Joseph Duncan, as I said, is a manipulator. I also think he's a liar, and I think it would be—you probably can't believe anything this guy says. The thing here is, Captain, I wouldn't be shocked if he, in a roundabout way, somewhat confessed. You know what I mean? That he didn't fully come out— Right, right. My understanding of it is I don't have the confession or what he said to them, but my understanding is that they, he did not give them enough. He did not give them enough details. He was, he, he didn't get certain things about the crime. Right. right. Um, okay. He basically said where he had abducted the girls from. He didn't recall their names or at least said in that interview that he didn't remember their names. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think a lot of evidence was lost because they weren't found until almost two years later. So just, just really a bad, a bad situation. Now regarding Duncan and, in the crimes, you know, he was convicted by three different courts. He has been convicted in Idaho for the kidnapping and the murders uh, regarding the Grony family and Mark McKenzie in California. He was convicted by a superior court uh, for the kidnapping and murder of Anthony Martinez he has also been prosecuted at the federal level. um so so some of these he actually pled guilty to, um, but he wasn't able to cut a deal like what we see in most cases. he 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 cut a deal to get a life sentence, but the way that this thing was set up was that they knew he was going to get tried at the federal level, right. And it was expected he would receive the death penalty for those crimes. So the way that they worked this thing was he pled guilty at the state level and was given life for some of the murders and for some of the kidnapping charges and all of that stuff. But they delayed the sentencing process for those crimes and those charges because if he were not to get the death penalty at the federal level, then he would receive the death penalty in Idaho. Now, Joseph Duncan III is currently being held in a maximum security federal prison This is the United States Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. Now, this is where we keep persons convicted of federal crimes. This is where we keep the worst of the worst. This is where Timothy McVeigh was held and executed. Um, Now, I don't believe that we have a set execution date for Joseph Duncan. Mm -hmm. If someone finds that, please post that at truecrimegarage.com in the blog, because I looked and looked and looked and could not find it.
0: Right, but on record, they haven't. I don't think they've executed anybody since two thousand three.
1: Correct, and so it's been a while, and we need to get that going again. So now, like with somebody with <laughs> Timothy McVeigh,
0: you need to get executions going again. We
1: need to get that that thing fired up again. Yeah, the with Timothy McVeigh, he was executed extremely fast, right? So on on average, a federal death row inmate is usually executed after about fifteen years. McVeigh's was only about four. Joseph Duncan committed these terrible crimes in 2005. He wasn't convicted at the federal level until the second half of 2008. So if we get back on schedule and the math holds up, we sh- we would be looking at an execution date of 2023 or early
0: 2024. Well, I, I hope you enjoy those uh, death penalty argument. Um, I, look, arguments, y- you and I have talked emails. about this
1: a little bit before um, on mm-hmm. several different shows. My views and opinions on the death penalty are are complex they're not very black and white um so i don't care to get involved in it here because it would take it would take us 10 shows for me to explain my opinion on it but but what i mean is sounds save, interesting save save yourself the time typing the emails because i'm not you because won't read them. well because what i'm saying is with somebody as bad as joseph duncan he's not a person that i care to discuss whether there should be a death penalty or not Okay, this guy's horrible. He videotaped some of the crimes that he committed against Dylan and Shasta. We know he did this. It's definitive. It was him. He's a horrible person. The world is will never be a better place because he's here. So let's not get into that debate. One of my
0: concerns, though, is these rich friends. I mean, these you know, especially the 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 one that was married with kids and saying, "Oh, release them to me." You know, you're either having sexual relationships with. Uh, Joseph E. Duncan or you're part of this pedophilia ring.
1: And you're right. And that's what I was trying to kind of foreshadow and kind of throw that idea out there without outwardly saying it. But yeah, I think that they were involved in some kind of relationship together, probably a a homosexual relationship.
0: So whether you're for the death penalty or against it, fact of the matter is this horrible monster is behind bars Mm -hmm. and he will not have any more victims. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, another thing, because, uh, you know, it's funny how, you know, we've been doing this show for so long, but so many of these cases are connected. Right. And we can reference so many cases, just like the Adam Walsh. I mean, we talked about uh, these crimes being put on America's Most Wanted, which would be with uh, John Walsh. And the sex offender, like uh, being registered sex offender, it's basically started because of Adam Walsh. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see how they're all connected and how we're growing as a society on some level to try to prevent these.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, you, you, when something like this happens, you know, you can blame, you can sit around and try to blame people if you want, or you can say, how do we grow and how do we learn from this? And is there any possible way that something this terrible, this depressing, that something good could come of it? And mm-hmm. one thing I want to, you know, I want to give Oprah Winfrey some props what? there. Yeah. It seems strange. But I, well, this is. But this some is, people will re, some people will remember this in in mm-hmm. late two thousand and five. This crime, you know, Joseph Duncan being out, being a registered sex offender, that was he was being sought. He was a fugitive from the law. He was facing these charges in Minnesota. Right. So if they could have found him before he committed these murders, we would have a whole we would have a whole family of people that still with us. Right. And so this crime inspired her. To do her and her show did a basically what I would call a child molester roundup. You know, this featured different child sex offenders that were wanted by the FBI It would feature those cases on her show. And the show offered a substantial reward for information leading to the arrest of these individuals that were featured on the show. There was at least two, Oprah. yeah. There was at least two of these guys that were on the FBI's most wanted list for sex offenders that were apprehended because of the Oprah show. Um, so that that's one good thing that came of it. Um, the other two is that they increased the um, the child victim recovery funds were increased in Idaho. So at the time, they would only issue, they would allot, I believe it was $2,000 or $2,500 to a child victim for counseling and therapy uh, because of all the trauma they've experienced. The thing here is with Shasta's situation, she's very young. She experienced something extremely horrific. They knew immediately that 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 dollar amount would not even provide the, the smallest a bit amount of counseling or treatment for her to try to correct and get things back on path for her so that she could live a happy, productive life. So they increased that amount and I believe they increased it to $25,000. So that was definitely, certainly a step in the right direction. And, you know, captain for me and you, we do a different crime every week. And I thank everybody for tuning in and listening to the different crimes that we present every week. But sometimes you and I have to go out of our way and look for the good, for the positive in these cases as we get bogged down week after week with with some depressing, heavy stuff.
0: Uh, But what's this week's recommended reading?
1: Walking Prey, How America's Youth Are Vulnerable to Sex Slavery by Holly Austin Smith. This is an important book with one of a kind insight into this subject matter because it was written by a victim. Not only was she a victim, but more importantly, she's a fighter. Her book, Walking Prey, is truly an educational experience for both parents and law enforcement. Holly has been on national TV, newspapers, and radio shows telling her story. She has also consulted for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Amber Alert Program. So pick up Holly's book about a crime that is not well understood by most of us. us. That is Walking Prey, How America's Youth... Are vulnerable to sex slavery by Holly Austin Smith. And you can do that by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com. Mm-hmm. And we have our recommended page. And you can pick up anything from that page on our Amazon app.
0: Yeah, if you click through the banner and whatever you buy, they give us a kickback and they don't charge you anything. It helps keeps the lights on, helps keep some beer in the fridge. And I think Nick had a couple too many beers this episode.
1: Yeah, Well, I'll do what I want. I've, I've done a lot of talking, so my tongue is not working with the rest of the mouth at this point.
0: Well, you did a fine job on the research this week, my friend, well, like thank always, you, Captain. and uh, really interesting stuff. And uh, like you said, you can find on the on the pewter, you can find this blog if you kind of want to dive more into you know the, the mm-hmm. fifth nail blog
1: and next week i'm very excited because we are going to feature a case that has been heavily requested as of recent so we want you to know we are listening and we will be back here with you in the garage my friends next week
0: yeah thank you friends for listening
1: and until then be good be kind and don't let her